Welcome to the show. As you know, we are in the month of sizzling sexy June and our summer series all about autistic sex. Hey, are you feeling it? I'm feeling it. It's fun. It's always interesting. And hey, who doesn't like to talk about sex? It's hot, it's steamy, and it's fun. And my guest today is the author of a book you're not going to want to miss. And if you get the newsletter, you probably already downloaded it. So I can't wait for you to tune in and carry on a conversation and be part of this with Michael John Carley. Not only that, but guys, stick around because on the 30th, you get to have a conversation with him live. So don't miss signing up for that event today. Right now, it's in the show notes below. Stick around. Let's get started. Hi, I'm Carol Jean, founder and host of Mind Your Autistic Brain talk show and community. And you're about to experience the new way to thrive in life and relationships as a late identified autistic by unveiling who you are, how you communicate, finding your self-care plan from the inside out, and being the authentic creator of your best life. Get ready because this is where we go against the mainstream, say no to outdated society norms, and we say yes to who we are in order to create a joy-filled, balanced, and more neurodistinct world. Welcome to Mind Your Autistic Brain. Welcome to the show. Oh my gosh, Michael. I am so excited you are here. This is just like the anticipation tingly moment of my day. Carol Jean, I can't thank you enough for being invited. Your energy is just absolutely fabulous. And getting an hour, you know, of your time is just, you know, it's absolutely made my day. Um, Already, you know, from the pre, you know, show calls that we've had, you're somebody I could hang with for hours and hours and hours. So, you know, totally. I'm like, let's have hors d'oeuvres and a drink. You came back. This would just be fun. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I can't even imagine like how many comments we're going to get that says get a room, you know, but. Oh, I gonna, know. Right. You know, they're just <laughs> going to say that. So. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. I have totally just devoured your book. All about sex. Because, I mean. First of all, I mean, happy, positive sex. I mean, come on. Everybody is looking for the happy, positive, because when it comes to sex and conversations around sex, especially for those of us who are neuro different, sometimes it is more stress and anxiety inducing because of all the stuff that sometimes the baggage that we have and the societal cultural norms that we have in our world that really make this a tough place to be sometimes and not that happy, positive, fun thing. And I love that you're bringing back reframing how sex can be happy, fun, and positive. Well, thank you. And I think that one of the things that is really shocking to people is that it can, as well as is supposed to be happy, fun, and positive. And to be, if we're going to go totally global to start this pod, you know, podcast, um, you know, to start this show, um, you know, we're taught that it's not supposed to be happy, positive, and confident. We're taught about, especially, you know, in the world of autism, all these disclaimers, because people are so afraid of horrible things happening to us. And I'm not going to try and teach you that those horrible things don't happen, but how we frame them 
and how we frame the idea of sex in general is beyond negative in the world of disabilities. Um, you know, when we talk about sexual assault, that's violence, that's not sex. When we talk about unwanted pregnancies and STDs, that's health, that's not sex. When we talk about stalking, okay, and the sex offender registry, that's the law, that's not sex. So not only do we have a piss poor definition and way of defining sex, but we're talking about our population, which is a bunch of really literal thinking people. So when we're constantly being raised with this, you know, um, the best that we can get in sex education is, well, sex is wonderful, but, well, you know, it's really a nice thing to do, but we're going to take that but to heart a lot more so than the neurotypical person. And I honestly think that one of, the, I, I hate to, you know, almost disclose this at the beginning of the show, but I think one of the driving forces that I had in needing to write this book was a negative and it wasn't a positive. And that was just about how awful the autism world, especially, had been to the people that look up to them for their care in being so negative and so full of cautions that just steered most of us. They were just like terrified of sex. Most of us on the autism spectrum, I think, are terrified of sexual contact. And that to me is so sad, Carol Jean, because a lot of us, we're not going to have great careers like you and me. A lot of us are not going to have great reciprocal relationships that last a lifetime or fabulous kids. So a lot of us on the spectrum could be looking at their sex life as the best thing they could have in their life. And we take that away from them every time we superimpose our problematic behaviors, which quite frankly also reflects a country, whether you're on the spectrum or disabled or not, that is so piss poor in being sex positive. I mean, I understand we can't all be Sweden, the Netherlands and France, I get it. But compared to the privileges and the economic status that we have in this world, we are beyond negative in proportion to other countries. And it was just such a tragedy that I really just felt very, very strongly from all my years at GRASP, listening to these horror stories, um, that there had to be something that taught everybody this isn't just okay. This isn't just the one page out of a sex book that says, oh, that's okay to be gay. This is about have fun, everyone. Have a blast, everyone. Because nobody's suffering from low self-esteem when they're having an orgasm, okay? This idea that, you know, people, certain people are having too much sex. Very few people on this planet are having, quote unquote, too much sex. The vast majority of us are not having anywhere near enough. And I'll let that be my opening sentence. I love that. You can't, you can't feel bad about yourself in the, in the throes of passion and an orgasm. Just not happening, folks. No, <laughs> you but it's like, you know, you're talking about the happy else. positive and then I came in swinging with a negative. I feel a little bad, so. <laughs> no, don't. Not at all. Because, you know, Michael, I think that's one of the most positive drivers sometimes that we have is that negative experience. And that's, that's the thing is I think sometimes we get so entrenched with assigning, you know, positive and negative feelings to something and just approaching it with, that's just feedback. That's just information informing me about something that's not meeting my need. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, Carol Jean, 
Um, your, your viewers may or may not know that for 10 years, I ran the largest membership organization for adults on the spectrum. Back then it was called GRASP. And when you're running that organization, not because you're any great brain, but simply because of what your job is, this is from, you know, 03 to 13, that you're hearing more stories from adults on the spectrum of the world. And as you're doing this, you're hearing a lot about some of the side objects and, and topics that you'd like to cover sometime in your career. And you're thinking, you know, maybe I'm done, you know, doing this nonprofit stuff, you know, I could tackle this or I could tackle that. And the two that were really coming at me was employment um, and the sexuality component of things. And it was so incredible because I remember like when you're suddenly getting phone calls from people saying, well, I just got diagnosed on the spectrum like any other grass member, what do I do? You know, where, where can I get resources in my local area? And yet at the same point, some of them were um, people who worked in adult films. Some of them were people who were sex workers. And I'm thinking to myself, wow, this is now, you gotta remember this is 2005, this is not 2022. And I'm thinking, holy mackerel, I have a can of worms here to open up that is just gonna shock the world here. And so I, as per usual, went to all the other organizations that we partnered with because I believe in a strategy of partner, partner, partner. And it really got us off the ground as you know, the first buy as well as for organization that was showing rather than telling that we could do great things. Um, and usually these were friends, very famous folks who were almost always on board anything we wanted to, to propose to them. And when I proposed doing something about, you know, this particular topic, the response was decidedly different. They all, and I mean this in a supportive way, I don't mean to condemn them, but they were like, Michael John, we love you, but on this one, shut up. You don't bring this one up. And it was because it was just too uncomfortable for other people. And, you know, mom's calling up saying, do you know of any great, you know, disability friendly sex workers that I can send my 36 year old virgin son to, um, you know, all these very real world problems. And Carol Jean, actually, you know, especially if you've worked in other aspects of disabilities, there are even more mind bogglingly complex, but also beautiful, you know, needs and stories out there. For instance, you know, there are sometimes people that can't use their hands. So what do they do to relieve the pressure? They need someone else to do it for them. And sometimes in those homes where you have significantly disabled people with you know, conditions that render their muscles so almost inoperative, and yet two people from that same home with the same conditions have a strong desire to have sex with one another. Consent's all there, you know, no worries. But in order for that to happen, they need a third to push their bodies together. This is an incredibly untapped field of just beautiful, beautiful stories with a Kafka-esque draconian past that we have to move past. It's, it's a place that I like to talk about that we don't often visit in our culture. And that is simple compassion. Compassion. And, and recognizing that our neurological and physiological differences do not detract or remove our human drive for love, connection, and physical touch to us, you know, whatever that is for a person, you know, that authentic connection to another person. Yeah. 
And so often it's, it's, we in the autistic community are viewed as being disconnected, wanting and desiring to be disconnected because we present in a very unique way for like from our own unique language and culture perspective that does not necessarily align or register with maybe a neuromajority vision of what that is. But that doesn't mean that we don't desire that. I mean, when I posted about, you know, hey, let's talk about autistic sex, baby, at the beginning of the June, you know, some of the things they had were fantastic because people were saying, you know, hey, I'm, I'm an adult virgin. I've not had sex, you know, 30s, 40s. And, you know, I'm not really sure how to even go about it. I want to talk about this, but nobody's talking about it. I'm so excited you're doing this. You know, I had somebody say, hey, you know, I have several friends, you know, who are like, well, I'm asexual. I don't really have like a desire. And I love that you talk about this in your book. It's like, just because you identify as asexual doesn't mean that you lack a desire to want to have connection in a relationship. It's just that, that sexual component, you know, and drive in that, that, that might be different. And I love that your book talks about all these different aspects. Thank you. Thank you very much. You know, I remember when 2010 came around and a very, very um, in your Facebook called Sex at Dawn came out. And for those that, you know, read it, it really was this final, you know, nail in the coffin to this myth that, for instance, you know, and I don't mean to just talk about, you know, the monogamy versus poly, you know, differences, but to the fact that monogamy was uh, the biological destiny that we're intended for from an anthropological standpoint, it's exactly the opposite. This is a, a man-made construct that we have done to basically create social structures of our, of our own design. And usually this goes, can go culture by culture. Um, but usually, you know, when you're talking about that compassion component, for me, the first ingredient to achieve compassion of any kind is pluralism. Because so many times, you know, we're raised to believe that, you know, whatever which way, you know, your aspect of sexuality or, you know, what your preferred sexuality is, everybody else is wrong. And we, we gravitate to this stuff, you know, like if you want to have sex five times a day, or if you want to have sex five times in your lifetime, okay, then those two corners in this, you know, figurative ring that we're talking about here, they're demonizing each other constantly, rather than becoming comfortable with one another. And if, you know, what that book also, I think, makes us realize is that compassion actually was our pre, you know, primate history. And it wasn't the Darwinian idea of survival of the fittest. You know, back then we were not, you know, leaving, you know, the ones that couldn't forage for food to die, you know, in their hut while in our hut, you know, because we had somebody who could provide, you know, we just ate up all the food or whatever. That's not how they did those things back then. They were actually real communities. And, you know, with 30 to 300 people at a pop, and this is back in the hunter-gatherer days, and it's fascinating when you look at, like, the aspects of jealousy and how man-made that is. And it basically, because, like, back then, you know, you were an idiot if you, you know, were thinking of anything as a possession because you were a hunter-gatherer. You had to bring it with you sort of thing. And people were part of that, too. And I'm not, I hope your audience doesn't think that I'm like leaning into some giant porn fantasy here because that's not how it worked. These were real relationships of people that had all grown up together. And it's a concept called uncertain paternity that made it all work. 
because in essence you had, it was very dangerous back then. And, you know, the, the hunters died at very, very young ages, you know? Um, however, if nobody knew who the actual father of that kid was, then everybody in the village treated that kid as it could be their own. And that's how these communities survived. And it was only when we started farming, you know, um, and had property that we started to look at each other as property. And while I appreciate the vegetables, you know, we had a major trade-off to, to be sacrificed there. You know, that was, of course, one of my intellectual happy places when I read that part of your book. I was just lighting up all over the place. You know, like, oh, he is speaking my language. And by the way, guys, he is speaking yours too. So do not miss reading this book cover to cover. And if you're like me, you will highlight all the way through it in all variations of colors because, you know, we color code when we highlight us folks over here. So you know, that's one of yours. Do it for sure. One of the quotes that I really just... It spoke to me so deeply because it was such a powerful quote. And I love this. Your body should seek empowerment, not evaluation. And, you know, when we're talking about just sort of the evolution of society and the different mindset that went with that, part of that outcrop of of where we started when we started farming and we had agricultural societies and then we move into industrialized societies. And it's just like, it keeps just getting worse and worse. You know, the more developed and technologically savvy we get, it's like we get harder and meaner and crueler and more judgmental (laughs) within ourselves and of one another. And I thought that was so beautiful. Your body should seek empowerment, not evaluation. You know, and I think when we think about it, especially from the Western female perspective, I'm 48. There's, there's some stuff I grew up with, you know, 17 magazine, Vogue, Cosmopolitan, you know, seeing these very beautiful airbrush, Cindy Crawford, Christy Brinkley's of the world. And then, you know, I'm tall, I'm not sticky, I'm curvy. And all of the things that I internalized, because I agreed that somehow this was the standard and the things that I put my body through and my, my heart and my soul through because I didn't think I was good enough in the sex, I denied myself because I didn't think my body was good enough. Well, Carol Jean, I mean, thank you for sharing that. It's really just sad, but I really appreciate, you know, you're, you're saying that because the other word to me also was permission, you know, that you have permission no matter what your body looks like to experience pleasure. I think you and I had, you know, maybe talked about this at one point, but it was, I had a very interesting um, contrast and compare exercise going on as I was writing the book, because after 28 years of New York city, we had moved to green Bay, Wisconsin to take care of in-laws for a couple of years. And this is where I'm writing, you know, the most progressive sex book out there. Right. So um, (laughs) go figure. But there was something actually about Green Bay. Now, I don't want to give you a, a nice impression. Okay. If you have autism and you're a New Yorker and you don't drink, don't move to the Midwest. Not a good idea. Okay. They're going to, they're going to want to hang you from the highest tree. Um, I did it for family. So it was a positive, but, but anyway, they're bigger folks out there, you know, than the New York body style or the LA body style. And 
I noticed that they actually had something that was inordinately more progressive about them than New York or LA. And that was the refusal to consider themselves, I mean, maybe to some degree, it still wasn't equal with everybody, but if you had a few extra pounds, you were not going to listen to the surreptitious signals from society because there weren't as many signals that you were less of a sexual being because of it. You know, I think there was this understanding, which I realized, you know, which is that does your clitoris work? Does your frenulum work? Okay. Does your anus work? Because if they do, you're not any less sexual than anybody else who has a 36, 24, 36 and a six pack. Okay. It just doesn't work that way. And that's again, the culture that's telling us all of this negative stuff. Um, you know, all of this, you know, I think right at the top of the show, you talked about also, you know, the compassion component. And every time we come up with a social structure intended to control sexuality, sexuality is biological, okay? And every social construct we come up to control sexuality butts heads because, again, you're fighting biology. And biology is always going to be at least needed to be acknowledged because it's, it's probably going to lose most of the time. You know, you're going to give in, you know, you're going to stay in an unhappy marriage um, where it's sexless and you're not going to branch out, um, you know, simply because that's what everybody else did. That's what my parents did or whatever, you know, the excuse is that you use, you know, and avoid the painful conversations. But, you know, when I, the funny thing was that when I approached them about this to say, hey, you guys know you're actually progressive about something, right? They wanted nothing to do with it, but that's another story. <laughs> They're like, whoa, Don't hang you. on, Michael John, you're just, you're barking up the wrong tree, man. <laughs> <laughs> totally, totally, totally. Progressives, we hate progressives. Um, We're not progressive, what? Oh my God. Anyway, but the permission thing is huge, you know, and, and I credit um, the woman who wrote uh, the forward for the book, uh, Dr. Michelle Ballon, whom I've known for years and years and years, and we've been, you know, partners in the sexuality crusades, you know, for, for a long, long time. Um, and she was the one who really actually framed the word permission for me a long time ago. She's absolutely brilliant. Um, you know, I'll even share a funny conversation with you because when 50 shades came out and I was like, you know, she was like, have you read 50 shades? Isn't it cool? And I was like, it's crap, Michelle. It's such bad literature. And she was like, Michael, you're such an idiot. You don't get it. Do you? This book is getting people who would never talk about sex to talk about sex. And she was right. She was right. She's brilliant. I refer to her as my stupid little sister and she refers to me as her asshole big brother, but we get along really, really well. <laughs> oh, I love it. Oh, I love it. <laughs> that is awesome. But you know, that's the thing. It's like, we have to, we do, we have to get uncomfortable to talk about the things that really matter because so often society and culture has corrupted and gatekept the things that are essentially human, regardless of our neurotype, in complete deference to whatever our physical disabilities or challenges happen to be. Somehow we're then, if we aren't quote unquote normal, you know, if we don't fit in this standardized box, that somehow we have lost our right, our God-given, well, I don't even want to say God-given, but our, our, our human birthright. I do it all the time. Yeah, I mean, our, our, our human right 
as people of, of, you know, we exist, we breathe. We all want to have something that connects us. And somehow, if we're different, we lose sex? Really? Who said? Who made that up? Because that's not makes no sense to me. No, absolutely. And, you know, if you were to pin me down and say, give me one sentence about what sex is, just one, or one definition, I would say the word, it's a bonding device. And the bonding can be you know, at any level of a relationship. Um, that's another thing about the pluralism aspect. You know, when we talk about all those folks who grew up under the idea of, well, if, you know, my clitoris isn't feeling anything, or if I don't have a heart on, then that means I don't want sex, even though something inside me emotionally kind of wants it. And too many couples, you know, in the past would just say, well, then we're not gonna have sex. But you stimulate the frenulum, you stimulate the clitoris, and you get aroused. That's the cool thing about it. And so this, I'm not in the mood thing, get in the mood. You can get in the mood. You really, really can. And I think about all these people that just, you know, emotionally wanted the, the connection, but because, you know, they were taught that, oh, because you're not already aroused, that we're not going to have sex. And think of all the sex that was lost. Oh, I mean, so that could much. make me cry if I wasn't on the show on a dime right there. You and me both. And you know, know one of the also, things, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just gonna, I was just gonna add on that, you know, the I, I think that a lot of the same folks get caught up in the idea of, you know, making sex so precious that it gets avoided too because conditions aren't right, you know. No, I can't do it now, you know, because blah, blah, blah. there are gonna be times in which, you know, it's mountain moving love. There are gonna be times in which, you know. It's the porn movie. And there are going to be times in which it's the medicinal, hold still, honey, this will only take a second because we need it, you know? And that is. variety is what makes it fun, too. And I think really what that, to encapsulate all of that, people forget sex is a language. It's a communication device. And one of the things that, that I started the conversation at the beginning of this month about is, one of the things that I, I put out in one of the second posts for this month, it says sex begins with, you guys go check it out. It begins within, it begins in our brain. It begins with giving ourselves permission, not setting a lot of standards, not all the comparisons, but just recognizing and then starting to evaluate and really just sort of sit with ourselves and to know that, you know, hey, the way that you may have liked or wanted sex in your 20s is not the way that you're going to like and want sex in your 40s. I mean, it changes. It's this constant flow. And when we get entrenched in this idea of what sex is supposed to be, we miss these beautiful opportunities of nuanced communication, not just with other people, but with ourselves. Correct. In that, you know, hang on, honey, this will just take a second. I mean, those moments are just as powerful and profound as the ones where, you know, it's not just sex. I'm, you know, sometimes Josh and I will we'll differentiate. I'll look at him and I go, I need to make love to you tonight. This isn't just sex. This isn't just a pleasure. This is a deeper connection need right here. Other times it's like, you know, I'm just looking for the hit it and quit it. I want the, the quick fun and the tick, you know, slap and tickle. And here we go. You know, and it's just being able to get to a place where 
we feel, and I love, I go back to your word, empowered. We feel empowered in our own needs. Because folks, that's really what this starts. It starts with, yeah. what are your needs? Yeah. And I love, you know, we talk about, you talk about sexual energy, which I love. And we've got a workshop with an amazing um, guest here this month. And we're doing a workshop on sexual energy and sort of connecting with that. You know, and one of the other aspects, and I think, too, this is something that I talk about and, and I'll be talking about, you know, doing some presentations in the future is alexithymia and sex, because, you know, that's a, that's a thing that sometimes it was a big part of my late identified journey, learning that I was alexithymic two years ago after I knew I was autistic and ADHD for several years, but understanding what that meant for me and how I was identifying feelings and sensations in my body when it came to sex. That's been a, that has been a fun adventure. That has been exploration. That has been a good time. (laughs) I'll bet, you know, and I'm not going to ask you directly the question aside from that, but I will, you know, just say that, you know, can you imagine, you know, what kind of a different world that we would be in, especially for people on the spectrum from, let's say the social anxiety is going to mean that a reciprocated sexual relationship is going to take longer than it does, let's say for a neurotypical. But I think we get there a lot quicker if, you know, not only do we know, okay, when and where, you know, it's a quote unquote, I hate the word appropriate, you know, to masturbate, but to encourage it, because that's how you're going to discover so much about your body, especially for women whose equipment takes longer to figure out. And the idea that, you know, we just sort of, you know, back off afterwards is another sign of how you know uncomfortable we are, you know, in in teaching about this subject, and I think especially of you know, let's say those thirty six year olds that are still virgins, how much of a different view of themselves would they have if they had their bathrooms set up as temples, you know, candles, whatever works, you know, incense, so that the masturbation ritual was one that was a demonstration of self love. And I don't mean that in a crunchy granola way. It's just basic self-esteem and growing up and not hating yourself because this of this dirty thing that you're doing, because it's not dirty. You know, you're relieving a lot of pressure. Um, it feels great. And it's okay to acknowledge that it feels great. Maybe not share because of the cultural constraints and how everybody else feels about it, but at least with yourself to have that ability to be honest and to truly, truly experience that. And Yeah. I mean, just, you know, considering those rituals and if we got started earlier and more comfortable with that, then, you know, just think of how further along we would be. Oh man, so much, so much in that. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I know. I was also going to say, this was also one of the reasons why, you know, we got into such a publishing, you know, nightmare with people getting freaked out about the book was because of the illustrations, which when we're on the spectrum and we're afraid to ask for help, and when all the, all the books basically don't for, you know, in the autism world, you know, don't have a lot of illustrations. And this is the only time I'm going to brag about the book because the illustrator who's from Indonesia was, did an absolute fabulous job. He gave me like 72 illustrations on there on how to exactly have sex. But the pictures drawn are, you know, are same sex couples as well as straight couples. They're people of all different ages, of different body types. 
And, you know, that was really, really important to me so that everybody could look at that and go, oh, that person looks like me as opposed to the supermodel, which just doesn't help, you know, to look at a supermodel having sex and expect it to be, you know, like encouraged by that, because that's not what we're taught. We're taught that if we don't look like supermodels, then there's something wrong with us. Oh, I just love that you went there because I actually had that on my little note card to talk about (laughs) (laughs) because the illustrations were the most beautiful part because there were such, there's such variety. It's so beautiful because I think anyone that reads your book can look at one of the illustrations and see themselves. And to me, you know, on on my side of the reading, you know, from this perspective of, you know, hey, I'm getting ready to interview and talk to this amazing guy and I love this book. I was looking at it from this, the, the viewpoint of what is it when we can't see a book that speaks explicitly to explain in a way that makes sense to our autistic brains, but also shows us images of the people that we are in our community. And you do that so beautifully and you were so intentional with it. And you can truly feel the heartfelt love and generosity of saying, I am open and embracing and talking to all of you in our autistic community. I'm not just talking to this group or this group, you know, and I love your whole chapter and I like it because you do it in a really wonderful way that allows somebody to just start peeking into and digging into what is my sexual identity? What am I interested in? Who am I interested in? What could this journey be like? Because that is such a huge part of the neurodiverse, neurodistinct brain. I mean, we have a large percentage of people who are in the LGBTQIA plus, and I like the Canadian acronym you use, but I will never remember all of (laughs) (laughs) That's okay. It's a long one. (laughs) It is. It's a long one. But, you know, I think in, in that, not only what you talk about and how you write about sex and the, the, the challenges and and the positives that we as autistic people experience as part of our sex journey. Cause that really is, I mean, it's part of a human journey. Everybody at some point encounters and thinks about and wants to experiment and engage in sex in some way, you know, what that way might be unique. And I think the way that you wrote this book, but the heart that you showed up to this topic with, with such openness, with such compassion, with such allowance to set a stage that says, no matter what you are feeling, what you're attracted to, who you're attracted to, or how you're attracted to them, we're having this conversation and you are okay, just as you are. Thank you, Caroline. Thank you very, very much. You know, a couple of things on all of that. Number one, the LGBT. Q component for me is very easy because we do have a much higher percentage in the spectrum world. And that's one of the good things actually that has come out of our inability to pick up what we call nonverbal communication. And that's where most of the gender expectation comes from. You know, it's really weird because with all the things that we miss growing up, we usually lose because they're things that we needed. Gender expectation? No, we didn't really need that so much. Okay. That actually really wasn't very helpful. And if we're missing that stuff and therefore we're able, because we miss that stuff, that signal of you're supposed to be attracted to this and you're supposed to be attracted to that, then we're definitely going to be more in tune to what we're really attracted to. And therefore, we can be much more honest with ourselves 
later on. And, you know, if we pick up on the gender expectation later, uh, later in life, when, you know, we've developed, you know, some courage, so we can say, wow, that's really not cool. That's really not for me. Um, and, you know, I come from a little bit of diversity background as well. And, you know, was very lucky in that. And that's not because I'm a great person or anything like that. I just got lucky. And, you know, you, you hear the stories. I have lots of trans students at NYU as well. And you hear the stories of, you know, what people that are different than you have been through. And, you know, that's just going to make you, you know, like such a, a warrior for them sometimes. And, you know, I'm, I'm not able to, you know, they, I, I try to respect, you know, what I can't live, you know, just as I expect other people to understand what they can't live about autism. Um, but at the same point, uh, you know, you've got that component, which is going to increase our population and make for a more fun place for everybody. But I think there's, you know, the second idea too, that once you've been out about anything, um, you know, that you've come out to the rest of the world that you could have kept hidden, whether it's an autism diagnosis, whether or not you're queer, um, either one of those two, the first of the two is always the scariest. Because, you know, you just don't know how the rest of the world is going to react. You know, is my mother going to turn into a bigot before my eyes and hate my guts and kick me out of the house? Whatever the case may be. You, after the first one is over, you're kind of like, oh, wow, I'm alive. I got through that. Everything's okay. Cool. Well, then I've got this second thing to come out about. And I'm not so worried about that one, you know? So it just makes the process so much easier. And, you know, on the topic of, the part of the sexuality world that I think spectrumites have an easier time of it also has to do with the BDSM community and just how, you know, we're able to see past every television and movie episode that depicts that as the, you know, the aging, you know, businessman in his sixties, you know, with the apple in his mouth and getting whipped and we're all supposed to laugh and go, ha, 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 ha. It, I don't know what your audience's experience is with this community, but they are as disciplined and clear. You know, I think people think of this community as being inordinately reckless. They are not. They have very strict rules. And if you don't abide by them, you're out of there. You're really, really gone. And that kind of clarity is heaven to people like us, Carol Jean. Heaven. So it's, there's also been, I think, a very natural gravitation towards that as well. And, you know, just to close my little diatribe here, you know, on the topic of, of Ha's, you know, illustrations, um, it's, it's not only the depictions of the people, too. I would vouch that, you know, obviously you've seen the, the, the book, and so you can see that there's a lot of the toys that are, you know, drawn in there for a lot of people. And they need that. There are so many people that have heard the word dildo, have heard the word butt plug, but they've never actually seen one because they just haven't been exposed because of their diagnoses, they're so sheltered. And then to finally actually see one in a book and they go, now I make the connection of like what that's actually supposed to do as opposed to this, this funky word, you know, that has something to do with sex. And that's something else that has been just never given to us in the past. And that, you know, we just had to change. Oh, I couldn't agree with you more. <laughs> it, it had to be changed. You know, there's, I think one of the biggest things that that I took from your book, and I hope that that the readers in, in the Mind Your Autistic Brain community take from this as well, and that is the removal of the fear component. You really do such a wonderful job. Thank you. Of that. Oh, thank you. That's honestly, I can die now. That means so much. <laughs> to me. 
No, it really does. I had a column called Autism Without Fear in the Huffington Post for years. And, you know, the notion of a strength-based approach to all of the advocacy that we all do, I think is really imperative. Um, you know, it just goes back to the old acronym that being scared will never not suck. It does. It, it fear is, fear is a, a rough place to live from. Yeah. And it really does, I think, take away what life is intended to be. And, you know, one of the things, one of the reflection questions, because every Friday I have something that I call Reflection Friday in Mind Your Autistic Brain. And it's been a, a, a central component to our, to my coaching as well. And I do it for myself because, it, and the reason that it translated into what I do and coach and teach is because it made such a deep impact in my life. And one of those reflection questions that I got from a mentor was, what on your deathbed? would you wish you had done more of? And, you know, one of the things I don't think that ever shows up on that list is I wish I would have had less sex. I think people are like, I wish I would have had more sex, right? Yes, yes, yes. Yes. And our, our fear is what stops us at the end of the day when we reflect back on what we didn't do or what, what we didn't allow and give ourselves permission to do is so often what a need is that we have. We deny ourselves our basic human needs. That's so gorgeous. Sex is the one we do. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and it inspires, you know, a flip side of the conversation and that is, you know, the liberation of the giver. Mm. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's like, I remember growing up and, you know, there was all this pressure to be a quote unquote great lover, even though nobody told you what that meant. You know, did it mean that, you know, you didn't come for 25 minutes? Did it mean that, you know, yada, yada, yada. If you're working, if your only goal is to please your partner, you're a great lover already. And you can do that so long as there's communication. Now, are there lots of people that still cling to the 1970s? Oh, he should have understood. Oh, he should have understood what I wanted. You know, um, you know, we should have just, you know, had that connection. It's like, no, communicate, chop, chop, chop. talk, make this text, which is one of the beautiful things, actually, which is one of the things that gives me hope is how text-based all of the communication around sexuality has, has, has happened. You know, it's not about you know, being able to figure out the the nods and the winks and bars anymore. It's, you know, younger people, you know, on dating apps and they're saying, I'm looking for this, 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 and this, and this without any hesitation. And that to me is massive, massive progress. Oh, that, that is empowering (laughs) to go back to your word. That is empowering. And that really starts with that reflection of, and starting with your own body, you know, what do I need? What do I enjoy? What pleasures my body? What feels good? What is not something that pleasures me? And I love how you take the reader on this journey in your book and you talk about all the aspects of pleasure, all the aspects of, you know, you guys know, I am always saying, put your lab coat on and be the scientist and the experimenter in your own life because you are the only one that can lead this experiment. It's you. Put your lab coat on and grab your dildo, grab your vibrator, grab your butt plug, grab your prostate stimulator and have fun and 
don't go in with set expectations. Go in with the mindset of, I'm just going to explore. I'm just going to have fun. I'm just going to see what happens. And if something happens, great. That's just data. And if something doesn't happen, well, that's okay. That's just data. And I can try something different. And when you give yourself that permission and that empowerment within your own space, within your own body, man, that's the, that knowledge translates into what you then show up to in a sexual relationship with other people, with another person, because then you know what pleases you, you know what you like. And then the fun is being the experimenter, finding what they like and making sure they are finding those things in yeah. your connection together. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's fun. What greater joy is there other than to blow somebody else's mind with what you can do for them? You know, that's like, that makes you feel great. Just absolutely great. So I couldn't you know, agree more. You know, <laughs> It does make me feel an obligation to, you know, also mention though that a lot of the preparation is hard for a lot of our folks because when you're on the autism spectrum, you are at risk for more sexual assaults. And we have a lot of folks that may have even been listening to everything that we said, you know, so far and felt a little bit left out. Um, but one of the things that I think I'd like to, you know, regurgitate from the book also is the concept that for those folks that we also teach them by our society signals that they're somewhat irreparable in terms of having a really happy sex life someday. Um, a happy sex life is a possibility. And we have to understand that when we live in this very punitive society, we are not a society that abhors rape. We support rape and the evidence is in our prison culture. If you need to really have a hard time believing that, look to our prison culture, you'll see it face value. And when we, over sometimes, let's say, look, you know, a sexual assault person, you know, somebody who does that, um, I'll dance a jig, you know, if they get hit by a bus, I, I have no problem with that. But to, the over punishing kind of has this, I don't know, even know if it's conscious or unconscious, I'm going to be fair and say it's unconscious, but there's a cynical part of me that leaves it open that this is something conscious that our society is trying to do. But the unconscious effect of when we over punish, we say that bastard, that bastard, that bastard, it gives the signal to the sexual assault victim that look what he did to you. Look what he did. You'll never have a happy sex life ever again, ever. That's never going to happen to him. Get that bastard. We're going to hang him from the highest tree. That's the effect it has. And that's not true. You are capable. It takes time. It takes therapy. It takes healing, a lot of healing and hopefully really supportive sexual partners after that incident and time. But the idea that it's not possible for you ever again is garbage. It's absolutely garbage. You know, there's, there's a fascinating incident that came upon recently. Um, and that was that in this one city in Russia that was occupied during World War II, um, I think it probably happened in a lot of cities, but they were, you know, sort of making mention of this. Over half of the women that were in the city that were, you know, anywhere between, you know, 14 and 45, over half of them had to reduce themselves to sex work with their German occupiers to, to be fed. And there were two unique one pro one con aftermaths in the years following. Um, number one was that 
they were able to have happy sex lives afterwards. Now, there might have been something having to do with the fact that there were a lot of them that experienced it together, so that that was a community aspect of things. You didn't feel isolated because of that particular experience. Um, but the interesting negative was that most of the time, the Soviet authorities had told everybody in the town, don't you dare ever share those experiences with people. We'll, we'll jail you for treason if you do, because there was never supposed to be any kind of public you know, noticing that this community had gone through that. And I think it's because certain societal constraints wanted thought that you're irreparable. You're, you're you know, you, I can buy you cheap now. It's horrible stuff. So anyway, I thought that was important. Thanks for letting me go on spiel on that. No, absolutely. And you know, that's that's something else too, because you know, I have friends who are asexual and they're like, you know, there's so much societal pressure and there's so much shame that goes into the fact that I don't feel a need to have sex. I don't really want to. It doesn't appeal to me. You know, I I want the connection. I want the relationship, but I don't feel the pressure or the desire to have intimate sexual connection with another person. Sometimes I don't even want to have it with myself and that's okay. And I think that that's such a big part, you know, shame. The fear definitely is one factor, but the shame that we bring sometimes because of the world around us is no, so I, hard. No, I agree. And, you know, I, I, I started developing, the more asexual people I talked to, I started developing this idea that like, I'm thinking in my mind in this thought balloon as I'm like talking with them, why haven't all the sex negative people on the planet gone to you and tried to, you wouldn't say yes, because you're a good person, but tried to coerce you into banding, you know, banding with them, you know, to say that, you know, we don't need sex. And the reason is because obviously to them, asexual people are just too weird. And therefore they're outcasts, you know, just as much as, as anybody else. But, um, you know, it goes further. You know, there are some people who are asexual who do want an emotional relationship. You know, they're not aromantic, um, but some people are aromantic. You know, they don't need an emotional relationship and they don't feel the physical desire for sexual activity either. And, you know, this stuff just goes on and on with the diversity of, you know, the human species. Um, it's really a gorgeous, gorgeous spectrum that's out there. It really, really is. I love it. And I think that's one of the beautiful things about our autistic community and spectrumites. And I love your term, the spectrumites, is that, you know, we can and we do encompass all aspects of sex and need and desire. You know, we have hyposensitivity, hypersensitivity. I mean, we have all of these very different needs. And you know what? It's no different than any other human, no matter their neurotype, no matter their physical abilities, we all have unique needs as humans. And when we just start honoring and respecting that within ourselves and with other, within other people, we give an allowance for the beauty and variety within the spectrum. So if you go from the asexual end over to polyamorous BDSM and kink, great. And everything in between. I mean, none of it is right. None of it is wrong. It's what is working for you and what meets your individual needs. And that is perfect. And you don't have to be any different than who you are. Amen. <laughs> 
I love it. Well, on that, we're going to say thank you for joining us for this conversation. Please join myself and Michael John on June the 30th. We're going to be having a conversation. We're going to be diving into those different aspects of autistic sex, where we're looking at some of the aspects and the things that he talks about in his book. We're going to talk about the sensitivities because we got a variety of those. We're going to talk about how do we start looking at our bodies? How do we start exploring these things within ourselves if that's something we're interested in? What does all of this mean? And you know what? We're even going to do something really fun and interesting because we've all got one. We're going to talk about the butt. (laughs) As they say, it's on the menu now. I love that. I love that one. That always say everybody's got one. It's your butt. <laughs> May I pitch actually just um, the website to where to get the book? The book, once again, is the book of happy, positive, and confident sex for adults on the autism spectrum, dot, 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 and beyond, exclamation point. And it is only available on Neurodiversity Press's website, which is neurodiversitypress.com. Uh, they will not sell through Amazon. Um, makes them very cool, makes me suffer a few book sale losses. That's okay. You make in the trade world, you make your money from speaking gigs. You don't make it from the books anyway that much. But anyway, thank you, Carol Jean, so much for such a joyous, open, you know, just comfortable show to invite me on to. And um, I just feel very, very fortunate um, to have met you and to be on your show. Oh, thank you for being here today and for sharing your insights and your fabulous book. And guys, the link to his book on Neurodiversity Press is going to be in the show notes below. You've seen it as it popped up across the screen. I want to make sure you don't miss it. And remember, you're supporting autistic work when you buy this book. Thank you so much for being here today. Don't miss joining us for that fun live. Take care. If you are someone who likes to help people and share what has made a difference in your life, please share this talk show with a friend and on your social media accounts so that you can be the blessing in another late identified autistic's life. Be sure to tag me at Social Audi so I can personally say thank you. And to help keep the talk show ad-free, please consider becoming a one-time or recurring supporter through either Buy Me a Coffee or the Anchor Podcast links in the show notes below. I truly appreciate your support. Thank you for being a listener and thank you for adding your voice to our story.